Hey, Melody. Hey, Peter. What's up, Drew? Hi. I like that he waves and no one can see him. It's true. The pause is also, I think, important. <laughs> Welcome to How College Works. I hope everyone had a good break. For us, we had a break. We're coming back now at the beginning of the spring semester. Everyone is therefore exhausted from starting the spring semester. But we wanted to talk today about professor availability. And so we wanted to basically give some, maybe compare and contrast to the kinds of support and availability that a student might be expected or might expect from their high school teachers. And then what is reasonable amount of availability, at least Melanie and I (laughs) think is for a professor. So the first part of that, the high school teacher availability, I can't speak to that. So, Drew, you want to give us enlightened Melody and I, at least? Well, and you guys might remember a little bit from high school. I'm sure it's changed. It was like two um, days ago. I'm fine. I know. It, it was. <laughs> I'm um, old with gray hair. <laughs> you know, and that's, I think it's a transition topic that, that teachers talk about from eighth grade to ninth and from twelfth to college and from sixth grade to seventh when, when they go to middle school. But as far as middle school to high school teachers really segmenting out the assi- oh you have a writing assignment well the the flashcards are due this day the the sources are due that day you didn't get the sources too you have three extra days the hand holding of assignment timing and time management and the extra amount of time that teachers make themselves available after school especially in high school hey come in at lunch come on in uh, after school come in on a monday we've got a saturday school program come on in and, and get some help on that day. Parents in high school and middle school especially and still in high school too are available to say, hey, I want to pay for a tutor to come in for you. On uh, Some parents are able to pay for that. But they're more willing to do that in high school than they are in college. So the availability of team support for a student at the high school level is, and while it's smaller than it was in middle school, it's still a great deal larger resource to draw from versus college. So I think, what do they call it, the, the moral hazard, where mm-hmm. it's okay if I drop this deadline because I know the teacher's going to extend it. Oh, oh. so a hazard is in sort of a gamble or, right. or a yeah. bet. And, oh, and some, you know, I had a student the other day tell me, you know, I'm, I'm not passing that government class that I need for graduation, but my mom is going to go take care of that for me. I'm like, what are you, that's not how it works. <laughs> And what he really meant, what that student meant was that they had been applying to a different program to try and catch up credits. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't like that, but he wasn't trying to say mom was going to fly in and change my grade. He was, he was trying to say they had a plan going forward, right? Okay. And that, in high school, that really is our, our job is always to provide, at least in the state of California, I'm presuming most other places too, is to provide a plan forward. Hey, we are where we are. We're not necessarily going to point fingers at who did what to get here with this student, but we we want to see kids get their 220 credits, graduate on time, or maybe a year late in the worst case, but get their credits and graduate. And so we will always be offering, here's the plan. We'll do mm-hmm. night school, we'll do adult school, we'll do credit recovery school, we'll do online, you know, certain items. And here's the plan. Like when we meet with a parent about a kid that's struggling, we say, here's the plan that the district offers. Here's the plan to to completion that the district offers. And so students are, um, even the struggling students are used to, 
I'm crashing miserably into the abyss, somebody's going to come step in and say, here's the plan. All you have to do is come in on Monday, Tuesday, Friday. Or they've heard stories about, hey, my cousin was failing miserably and went to continuation high school where they started 9 o'clock and they ended 1 o'clock or 2, and they get more credits in the semester than a comprehensive high school offers. Now, they don't have a football team, but they're able to do mm-hmm. a lot of credit recovery. And it sounds like a brilliant scheme. It, you know, it's Without going into details, it's just not the same as a comprehensive high school. Sure, yeah, I would, I would assume so. You know, it, it, you still get a diploma and, and what have you. I don't think you're going to get to Stanford on that diploma. Unlikely. I mean, you're unlikely to get Stanford on any diploma, like just odds-wise, but yes. There it is. But, so, you know, the, you're those crushing are, dreams. But the, the MO, or, you know, the, the, the way we operate is always, here's the plan. Mm-hmm. Every year, counselors sit down with the ninth grade, 10th grade, 12th, whatever, and say, here's the stuff you have to have to graduate. Here's your electives. You can choose what you like, but you have to pass 220 credits worth. Oh, you failed a class? No big deal. We're going to retake. I mean, a lot of that is similar to the way, like, advising goes with me, which is here is you plan, you plan to be a health science major. Here's what you need to take. You know, so you didn't do what – you failed that, that class. Well, if you failed that class, health science major may not be the best option. But if you failed that class, yes, yes you can take that again. Right, you have to wait for it to come up again. But I guess one of my questions is, is it common for you and or your colleagues to be available to students after? After instructional time? Yeah, and for how long? Yeah, well, and you know, at, at, at my campus, my math department is very generous with their time. They're, they have their rooms open at lunch. I don't. I, I eat my lunch. I <laughs> <laughs> contract you know, we don't have to by contract, but they offer that. We get paid extra for if I come in on a Saturday school, I get paid extra. If I'm here after school, I don't get paid extra for that, but I've offered it a couple of times. So some teachers will stay for 10 or 15 minutes after school and offer those things. And I think we are generous in the, for the most part. Teachers want to see their, their kids graduate. We're on the team of we want to see kids succeed. We're trying to make it happen. And we also have a pressure from admin from above to say, hey, you got 35% Ds and Fs in that, in that Algebra One class, which is a gateway course to high school gradu- graduation. You know, those studies that say passage rate of Algebra One indicates dropout rates the next year. So, you know, we want to look at Ds and Fs. And we're also, we're not going to give Cs just to give Cs. Well, we want to look at how do we intervene? How do we have mm-hmm. intervention for students who are struggling? Well, that's probably you know, going to be time outside of class time. That's the that's the solution we can come up with. Time outside of class. So we've we've made all these uh, workarounds. Our campus does a a thirty minute a day tutorial period that's structured into our day, and we try to use that for intervention time as well. So I'm calling students in who aren't necessarily in my class to help say, Hey, you had problems with fractions. Let's take a look at fractions. You want to do quadratics? You got a, a D on the quiz? Let's do quadratics. So we're trying to work around that with time outside of class. And and again, like as far as the teacher team, the administration team, the family team that surrounds this student in high school, not that they don't care after, in college. They're just not as able to support somebody in college, mm-hmm. I think. When, the, when somebody walks to college, matriculates, as a freshman, you, you took the tour, but where's the writing center? I don't know. 
what questions do I ask the writing center person so I can write a better essay? I don't know. You know, I'm on my own at that point. Can that month in December? Yeah, Yeah, the writing center (laughs) question. (laughs) Well, I worked at a much larger campus, and we would have, like, seniors working on, like, capstones, and they'd come in and be like, I didn't know the writing center was even here. I'm like, you've been here for three and a half years. And, it, you know, granted, it was a large campus, but they had a lot of outreach and stuff. So, yeah, sometimes they're just not aware of those services or they weren't paying attention in freshman orientation. I don't well, it's hard to pay attention for all freshman orientation. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I Also, one of the things which I wonder about is that I make it pretty clear to my students, you know, when I'm going to be available. And when after I go home, I am not available. But there does seem to be some expectation, I mean, some students anyway, enough students that it's a thing that I'm aware of, that a professor be accessible via email or cell phone or something, like at 10 o'clock at night. Really, like all hours. <laughs> like, like the, what is requested or obviously expected based on what's said in an email is that I'm going to be reading this email, I'm going to be responding to this student. This email was sent at like midnight. Well, and the answer to that typically keeps them, like, when you don't respond, they can't do their homework, which is clearly due the next day or something like that. Right. And so then it's clear that that was, their expectation was that you would respond so that they could hurry and do their homework so that they could be in your 10 o'clock class. 10 o'clock. Whatever. I'm just saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying. I know. 10 o'clock is early for students. Well, they're not going to be getting up at, like, 8 o'clock to see if you've responded. They'll wait till they. They'll wait till you come to your off. They'll come to your, your class and be like, "Did you see my email?" I'm like, "Yeah, I responded." Oh, I haven't had time to check it. Then don't ask me. That <laughs> <laughs> drives me crazy. But yeah, what is that? Do you guys respond to email like at ten o'clock at night in high school? I do not because any email I get at ten o'clock at night is and look and the emails I get from students are like, "I finished the assignment. Please grade it and put it in the grade book." The emails. <laughs> From Rude. <laughs> you know, the, the emails I get from parents at 10 o'clock at night have a lot of bolded and capitalized words. <laughs> Four-letter words? And, well, just large words. So I don't read those until the morning, and then I deal with that either with a phone call or face-to-face because, you know, emails that are sent that late at night, yeah. I'm not going to respond to on an email, am I? <laughs> Probably no. not. No. There's like no, some sort of rule about not taking care of important business after dark. Like <laughs> you should sleep weird. on it or wait. Yeah. I don't know. That's just a different topic of a different cast. So where do you think this expectation comes from? Because it sounds like that you don't necessarily respond. Are your colleagues responsible for this, Drew? Yeah. Who? Are you the one good apple in the barrel of bad? <laughs> That's not the case at all, I can guarantee. Anyway, no, they, look, we have in... in most of the schools I know in this state, and I'm sure elsewhere, we have a really good online communication tool with the parents that most of the parents are on. I don't, I don't think I want to advertise it, but whatever. Sure. And um, and we, we actually use more than one, but we also use our regular old email. Um, we use the little remind text app. Mm-hmm. I'll advertise. Yeah. That. I use great. that actually. Yeah. I tell and, my I tell my students I can text them without knowing their phone number because I will call them. If they're late for lab, and I know their number. Yeah, I've done that. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of avenues to communicate with parents. And, you know, we're really busy with 150 whatever kids to 
contact. I'm not going to give a personal. I know I don't necessarily give a personal note to every kid every week. Mm-hmm. You know, or every parent. You know, so. So it sounds like they're kind of transitioning from a place where there's a large amount of communication, some of which is is not even having to be managed by them. It's being managed by their parents and then moving into an environment where there is usually less communication. The official communication is email, which they tend not to check. Now, remember, you know, I don't think that necessarily my high school career was necessarily typical, but I'm looking at my students and saying their time even is not managed by themselves at this point. Their time is, you know, they have to get to cheer practice, drill team practice, soccer team practice, travel baseball practice. Then they got to go to their brother's piano recital. Their time is not managed by themselves, so they don't have to worry about it anyway because if they forget, mom calls them or texts them and emails them, and it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what they forget. Right, because there's like a built-in safety net for that. Life is handled for them, and I'm I'm generalizing. You know, mm-hmm. there are some sure. really fantastic, responsible <clears throat> students. You know, the students who are uh, a continual getting in their own way are the ones who've never had to manage their own space. You know, they, somebody else is always giving them the reminder. And I, you know, I, I'm not saying I was guilty of that too. And how did I learn that lesson by stumbling on my face and failing a class and having to pay to retake it? I'm not saying people should fail. I, I'm not saying that. Well, I mean, I tell my students, you learn. We learn more from our failures than our successes. You so know. learn cheaper from my failure. That's that's the point. Yes. Yeah. It's it's even better if you can learn from from my struggles than from your own. But I guess so. I, kind of the thing that Melly and I have run that we've been talking about and have sort of ranted to each other about periodically is <laughs> is this sort of expectation of twenty four hour availability, and at some level, I I think. It's, uh, it almost sounds like, uninten- maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally, building in sort of an excuse. Well, I contacted my professor to get the thing I needed to finish the assignment, but I never heard back from them. I, you know, and I think that's an okay position to start from, but it's not an excuse. But you turn around on them and you say, well, you need to move your time scale forward. Right. I, con- my, I contacted my teacher. Like I deal with this with students with special education uh, learning disabilities, an IEP where they have an accommodation for extra time. And I tell them, I write it in my IEPs. You know, you can't show up on Friday the day too empty handed. You need to contact that teacher before the due date with something you've half finished, work in progress, and say, here's how far I've gotten. I have extra time. Can I get two days and negotiate mm-hmm. ahead of time? You have to move your time scale up. Like I contacted my professor is great if you contacted him before the due date with some reasonable days notice. And if you guys, I know you put that in your syllabus or you put that in your first day lecture for the first year students, that's your fair warning, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not reasonable to email the doctor at midnight and say I need antibiotics at 2 a.m. Maybe it is. That's a bad analogy. (laughs) Email, no, it's fine. it, that won't work. ER, sure, right. But there's no emergency room for your academic stuff. There's no 24-hour academic ER we can roll in and be all like, I'm about to fail this paper. That was a bad comparison. I'll work on that one. <laughs> Workshop that one up a little bit. can bring it back later. I'm about to have to go to my next appointment. I love this conversation. Are we, and I would like to hear kind of what questions maybe our audience has. Are, are, we, are you getting some comments and questions in places to... 
I I have not gotten very many comments or questions to bring in, so I'll take. Mix them up. And we'll okay. Like they're real okay. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. You need to create like a fake Twitter account. Get send yourself there. some <laughs> some uh, tweets some stuff. tweets and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're gonna have some guests this semester. Maybe we can shoehorn a student in, and force them to ask us questions. Yeah. That will be fun. super awkward. It would be fantastic for the listeners. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so. Why don't you uh, why don't you bounce, Drew, and Mel and I will finish up a little bit here, a little bit more discussion on things that annoy us. Because <laughs> that's really what this is about. Isn't that that's that's where the real yeah. real drama happens? <laughs> and it's day two of the semester. I'm tired and I'm already annoyed. <laughs> I'll see us next week then. All right. All right. Bye. Ciao. So then, what the what the heck? Hmm. So it sounds like that the students aren't getting the kind of treatment that they expect to get from us. That's not happening in high school. So then what's the deal? I don't know. I don't know. I think, is it going to sound like victim blaming? (laughs) I think it's kind of who we are or who we are as a faculty. Because I don't think you run into this if you're at an R1. Oh, no, because you're like one of like, you know, 10,000 new freshmen or whatever. Right. Well, you're one of like, 150, 200, 500 students in an intro like like biology class or something, right? And so you, your expectations of contact with your professor is way lower, and it's much more re- removed, you know. So I think what might be going on a little bit is, you know, we have high contact with our students because we're at a small liberal arts. You know, I have a maximum of 20 students. I have a calculus-based physics course this semester with four students in it. So we get some quality time, right? Yeah, but that quality time, at least for me, happens in the classroom because yeah. instead of being in a lecture hall with 250 other people, which I have I have experienced as a undergrad, which was weird, but whatever, then we have a class of you know four or 13 or right. whatever, and but so I give more time for my daily lessons and for my feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't necessarily mean that I just, be, I don't have more hours in the day because I have fewer students. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean, just, I spend just as much time prepping. We do different things. But I, but I think part of what's happening is a social thing, is that our students know who we are as people mm-hmm. much better. We are, I'm not going to say we're three-dimensional. <laughs> Not quite. We're going to make two and a half dimensions. We're not quite real people. We're not, yes, we're not quite real people, but we're, we're so close. If we could just find the, the blue fairy, she would turn me into a real professor. <laughs> and so I think they start to approach us as they approach real people in their everyday lives, which in college happens to be other college students for the most part, who are up at 10, midnight, 2 a.m., Doing the same things, working on papers, working on homework. This well, week. if I'm up at 10, a, 10 p.m., which I, I am, I'm reading for myself. Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just in terms of having clear boundaries and availability. For me, part of that has been letting my students know when it is that I'm going to respond to things. And at some level, letting them know sort of why that is, which is not required, right? If I'm like, I'm not available... For, like you say, if I'm not available from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. That's what my syllabus says. Then that is totally legit. Like, you need time to not be 
I told them being available to you 12 hours out of a 24-hour day is the most I can give you. Yeah, which is a lot. It's half my freaking time, and I still need to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, certainly I mentioned, like, I have a family. You know, when I leave at four, I'm going home to my wife and son. I am not answering your emails or texts or whatever. Like, I'm not going to be even looking at a screen, basically, until 8 p.m., so, and even then, I was going to be like, you know what? My son's in bed now. I'm probably spending time with my wife. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't take my work home with me in the same way that I did when I was an undergraduate or when I was a graduate student. Doing that, taking my work home with me in that way puts a burden on my family, which is detrimental. And while there are many people who are willing to do that, I would say if you have significant others, not necessarily have to be married or have a child, but if you have other people in your life or even roommates that... Or dogs. Or dogs. Furry people. (laughs) I have dogs. (laughs) Then being 24 hours in your job is not good for me, and, and therefore I assume not good for most people. Well, it's not. it ends up not being good for the students because... Whenever I find that I have to do a lot of work, I get cranky. I get you don't say. Yeah, I'm a little cranky. <laughs> well, and I don't know. Like then I start to like feel a little resentful of my job, which you know you don't want that. You want you want someone to have time to yeah. be to do what they want to do, to be um, in their little personal space without you like emailing them constantly. And you can't ignore that, yeah. but you want us to have downtime because that's what keeps us balanced. Yeah. So I have my students write reflection papers in two of my classes. And one of the things which is common enough that I see it fairly regularly is experiences with high school teachers who like stay after till like 6 p.m. helping students on things, which blows my mind. That is a huge time commitment. (laughs) And some of these sound like these, these are like married individuals. Yeah. And I would resent having that much time taken away. I mean, they're obviously offering it, so like, you know, they're cool with it. And it's very, it's incredibly giving and generous and incredibly powerful for the students who write about this in their reflection papers. But it's, all, it's, just, not, it's just not possible, I think, for most of us to well, do something like that. And while I applaud those people, that's great. Do, do what you gotta do. Sometimes I feel like they set up false expectations for the rest of us or, well, the good teachers will give up time. And I'm like, just because I have, you know, boundaries or I say, no, I really do need this time to do my own thinking, Mm -hmm. to do my own thing. I don't feel like that makes me a bad teacher. I'm no less committed, I feel like. um, Well, I mean, I think at all levels, there are times when that's an appropriate thing to do and there are times when that's not an appropriate thing to do that as a college professor, I feel that it, this is an, to me, this is an important time for students to transition from being minors, from being kids, sorry, high school seniors, to being adults, to being everything on your own and having to stand without support when there is no support to be had. And giving and giving and giving of my time to help them do something which they can't do on their own too too much of that means that they don't learn to do it on their own Mm -hmm. that if it's 
if the math class is too hard, then maybe they need to not take this math class and take the one before it. You know, if, if I do too much of it and I'm managing their time through this, then I'm not letting them man learn to manage their time. As Drew said, you know, sometimes you learn this by falling on your face and picking yourself back up again. And I, I need to give my students enough support that, that they can work through it on their own, but I shouldn't give them so much support that they, they, they have no option yeah. to, they have no f option of failure. That makes sense. Well, and part of what he said, I mean, I know that public school, high school, not just public, but high school teachers teach for many more hours a day than we do. And so it looks like if you were to walk by my office, yeah, I'm sitting at my computer several hours a day whenever I'm not in class. But that doesn't mean I'm playing solitaire or like shopping online. I'm, you know, Candy I'm, Crush, please. I'm sorry, I'm solitaire. I just dated myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, like there's lots of other things, and most of the time, if a student stops by, I mean, my door is usually open. Mm -hmm. I have ten or fifteen minutes. But what starts to annoy me is when someone comes in and sits. Like I do. Well, <laughs> sometimes, if there are several colleagues who come in and sit one after the other, it can get a little frustrating mm -hmm. because some of that time I've worked in specifically to get things done. Right. And like I said, 10, 15 minutes, I don't mind spending time with anyone who can stop by. But they start talking and carry on, act like that I have nothing else to do with my day than to sit there and talk to them about their problems or their roommate or Whatever they want to talk about, which not all of those topics are appropriate, P.S. I don't need to know about your I, new love I, interest. Yes, please don't. We talk about not just availability, but boundaries. Yeah. I might be sitting there, and I might be blinking at you, but that doesn't mean I want to hear all your stuff. I had a student today send me greetings from a student I had previously, who I think, if I understand what, what she said appropriately, it referred to me as my main squeeze. I was like, please don't, no, please, no. That's, that's, that's it's not, it's not okay. So let uh, us really quickly address Hollywood's obsession with TAs and professors having affairs with students. No. It is gross <laughs> and not okay. Just no. Just no. Don't do that. Don't let them do that. Don't do that to themselves. Please don't, if you have a crush on a professor, don't tell them. It you know, is, it makes is everything awkward for everyone. Seriously, and it's like, as, as a junior faculty member, that could be really bad. As a tenured faculty member, it could also be really bad, but it has to be at a much higher level. I think I said at my previous institution, there was a faculty member who evidently, allegedly, I don't know, had a two-year affair with a student, and it blew that campus apart. Like, there were battle lines still in place. You could see periodically in faculty's interaction uh, that they would get together, and then all of a sudden something would flare up. You're like, what went on? And then my chair would be like, they were on different sides of that thing. And they had been friends before, but it, like, blew it up. But that, that was a serious, serious thing. Yeah, so don't just... Don't. Please don't. Please don't let us know. Please just be chill about it. And don't bring me gifts, please. <laughs> It feels weird. Just don't do that. A card is nice. That's fine, but card is wait fine. until the end of the semester. Until yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm not always available for a 45-minute therapy session, especially if you just happen to pop by or whatever. 
And before you come in and sit down, please ask, do you have a few minutes to talk? Don't assume because my door's open and because no one else is sitting down that I'm automatically and always available for you. I need to find a way to gracefully excuse myself from what we so far as referred to as the needy students. There are students who want to talk to you, which is fine. That's not, that's not bad. I don't want to be yeah, like, students no. don't talk to professors. But then it keeps going. You know, it starts off with an actual question about class, and it just kind of, like, drifts off into, like, personal anecdotes and stuff. And it's like, I have things to do. Or, like, there's another student standing off to the side who has, like, a legit question. So perhaps come in with a game plan and an exit plan. That would help your professors. And try to read some social cues from time to time. Yes, do read the room. If I'm like, well... Do you have anything else? Or, well, I guess I'll see you in class. Or if I stand up and walk you to the door. That is a major cue that it is time for you to excuse yourself and go a bit about your business. Or if I stop looking at you and start typing. <laughs> I've had to do that a few times. And they're like, oh, are you busy? And I'm like, well, yes. Oh, okay. And I'm like, yeah. So, like, I, it feels like I'm being rude, but you're not reading my other cues. And so mm -hmm. I feel like something more direct and I've, like, walked students down the hall. <laughs> I've been like, oh. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, so it's it's just, it looks like we're available a lot. Yeah, and as you say, usually that's, it's, that is time which I have blocked off for doing some work. And it's not, it's not like deadlines. Like, this thing must be done by 11 o'clock or whatever. And so, yeah, I can take 15 minutes if you have, you student, have something that you need to talk about but hanging around for a little too long. I have 15 yeah. minutes for pretty much anybody, pretty much all the time, unless I have, like I literally have a meeting in three minutes or something. And I, I'm like, yeah, stop by and ask me a question. I don't mind. And really, that's how I, that's how I feel. Like I would yeah, rather no, you I, stop yeah. by and ask. Um, so like, I, but don't just assume. Don't assume that I'm always available and I'm always ready to answer your emails. Well, and certainly one of the things which I feel I, I personally want to kind of like, I guess, work on or kind of get more comfortable with is ushering students out when time is up. Because sometimes it happens that a student comes in like 10 minutes before class and like, do you, have a, do you have a minute? And it's not their class. So they don't, they have not checked the schedule that is posted outside my door. And they stuck, stick their head in. And periodically I find myself being like, the real answer is no, but I feel a pretty strong pressure to say yes. I usually yeah. say, I have class in 10 minutes. If it's quick, I can answer something. Yeah, that's probably good. But even then, it turns into nine and a half minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I was really kind of putting the finishing touches or proofreading my slideshow one more time or whatever. Then I feel rushed and hurried to get into class, and I feel kind of discombobulated, which, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be in the right headspace to kind of do that yeah. stuff. So. so maybe as advice for students. <laughs> to bring it's not it. about me. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess one of the so the things I guess that we are about. rambling about is like so first of all we have things we need to do and we are generally faculty are happy to spend a few minutes answering a question or speaking with students because that's you know why we're here, but you should come with a discreet question and maybe even up front say I have a question to ask you and then I have to go even if that's not true it sets clear boundaries clear sort of thing like I'm gonna ask you this question I'm gonna get this answer and then you're gonna go certainly here we have like 10 minutes between the end of one class and the start of the next much like a high school 
much like most places, I guess, that can be a convenient time to drop by. Maybe ask not do you have time to talk now or could I set up a time to talk with you later? Yeah, that's what office hours are for, which those are posted mm -hmm. for your convenience, usually outside of my door and on my syllabus. Yes. Everyone's. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's another thing. I mean, I know I'm kind of tangenty today. Uh, did I mention it was the second day of class and I'm kind of already tired? Uh, but like students will email me and be like, can I set up a time to meet with you? And I'm like, you can come in during my office hours. And sometimes they'll ask for times outside of my office hours. And I've had to be very direct to be like, is it that you have class during my office hours or that you don't want to get up and be at my office at nine? Because that's a completely different thing. If right. you literally have class or if you're working on campus, during my office hours, I'm willing to set aside other time for you. But because Fridays at 9 aren't convenient, because you don't have class until 11, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things which I think being... Well, um, I am just really on it today. <laughs> I mean, I think it's being kind of like gracious as, a, as somebody requesting somebody else's time. There are meeting times... You know, when we do service, we have meetings. There's a meeting time, which is Thursday at 11 a.m. I don't teach on Thursdays. I generally do not come in on Thursdays. But it would be presumptive in the extreme for it to be like, well, committee that I'm on, I can't do Thursdays at 11 because that just doesn't work for me. Like, no, I get my ass up. I drive my ass to work. I go to the meeting. I go back home. It's a lot of more driving for me. But that's just the deal. That's just when the meeting is. If office hours are inconvenient, then that's that's kind of too bad. Like if you like legit, if it's legitimate, you know it. I think as we said before, if, if you are marshalling your excuses, it's probably not legitimate. Right. If it's just like you have to set an alarm earlier and haul your ass out of bed, that's probably what you got to do. Yeah, but they seem to have no reservations about asking me to change my schedule you know, they're like, well, I actually am really, you know, like some students really do, like athletes especially, mm -hmm. start their classes pretty early and go until like three and then they practice until like, like three to five or whatever. But I have gotten up early to meet an athlete who could not meet with me any other time except for 8.30 in the morning, which is not my favorite because I don't teach until one o'clock <laughs> <laughs> this semester. But... You know, that was literally the only time, so I don't want to be like, I'm unwilling to rearrange my mm -hmm. schedule. But at the same time, we have to meet in the middle where we can. Right. And if my times don't work for you, that's fine. But don't expect me to, like, just make, oh, well, what works for your schedule? Because, really, I'm here to serve you. That's not. And whenever you ask me to meet your schedule, it feels like you think that I'm giving you some sort of service, and that like a service industry kind of thing. Right, which... Like, you're my customer. Yes. No, you're not my customer. And you're not always right. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, our students are usually wrong. <laughs> That's where the learning happens. <laughs> my God. Mean today. Wow, we are just cranky. Well, I, well, we're doing science journals, and they, uh, they have a question hypothesis, and I tell them, I'm not interested in you having the correct hypothesis for this thing that you noticed works. I'm interested in, in your hypothesis. I think 99% of the hypotheses, the observations that they've made for this type of entry is something where it's, 
I know exactly what's happening, and they are dead wrong. And you're like, no. <laughs> but that's, a, I don't care. In this assignment, I don't care about that. It's not about getting the right answer. It's about thinking it through. Yeah. It's about thinking it through. That's where you learn. Right answers are not where you learn. Okay. Thinking, thinking it through. Wow, so we've covered a lot today. <laughs> in such a short amount of time. Oh, they're going to think we're schizophrenic. I don't know if that's in the DSM-5. Actually, I'm pretty sure it is. Really? Oh. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> I'm comfortable saying that because I don't have to be an expert in everything. I'm not a psychologist. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> so, all right. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Next week, we're going to have some librarians. Yay. Yeah. They're going to tell us what librarians actually do. Yeah. Because I don't know. Really. What? I mean, they shelve books sometimes, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot more to it than that. I feel like you're, that's just kind of, I think Courtney might be sad if you're like, oh, she, she hasn't shelved she's probably, books. She's probably going to hit me. <laughs> Courtney doesn't shelve books because she's the library director. Anyway, librarians next week. If you would like to ask us a question and not wait for one of Drew's fake Twitter <laughs> questions, you can reach me at, at Dr. Highland or send me an email at peter.o dot highland h-y-l-a-n-d at gmail.com uh, so until next time have a good one Bye. <laughs>